couple of years ago, I was asked to sit on the board of the Eastern Illinois University Autism Center. Um, the Autism Center is a fantastic place. They do amazing work, and they help kids, and they help adults. They help whole families and really whole communities, and, and it's an honor to get a set on the board. And I, I go to these board meetings, and I'm surrounded by professionals who make autism their, their business. There's a, there's a psychologist who's on our board, and she's world-renowned as an expert on autism. She speaks at conferences all over the world. She spends about three-quarters of her time in Washington, D.C., dealing with autism on a national level. There's a pediatrician on our board who deals with families and children and helping them understand the challenges of autism. There are people on that board who, who serve in various communities and various organizations. There's the director of autism and therapy services for our area. There are professionals who understand the hows and the whys and the ins and the outs of autism. And then there's me. And there's times when I'm sitting there listening to the discussion. I do much more listening than talking in those meetings. And I listen to the discussions about this new treatment plan or that new treatment plan or why this works and why that doesn't work and this conference that someone went to and that conference that someone spoke at and, and then I have something to share and, and I just feel like standing there and saying, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just a simple country preacher. I don't have all the book learning that y'all got. Then I remember why they have me on that board. Because I don't just study autism. I live with it. <laughs> I see autism and understand autism on a, on a visceral level. I, I don't just study it. I touch it. <laughs> I smell autism. I clean up after it. I, and I love it. And that's why they need me on that board. You know, you farmers, you... You go to a big conference, you know, you go to a big convention or a big meeting, and who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to some scientist from Chicago? Are you going to listen to some botanist from Boston? Or are you going to listen to another farmer, a guy who's covered with the same dirt that you're covered with, facing the same stresses that you're facing? You find out you've got cancer. Uh, obviously, you call a doctor, and, but you also call that friend down the road who had to deal with the same kind of cancer. And you talk to them and you say, what worked? What didn't work? What should I ask the doctor? What should I try? What gave you hope in the midst of a, of a very hopeless situation? We've called this series Called Out. Because called out is the most literal definition of what the word church means as it's presented in the Bible. The church is to be called out. Called out of society called out of culture, obviously called out of sin, called out of the drives and the desires of the world around us. We're called to separate ourselves from the world's behavior, called to separate ourselves from the world's attitudes. But the reason we've been called out is so we can go back in with a mission and with a message and impact the lives of the people around us, people that we live with and work with, people we see every day, to impact them with the message of Jesus Christ, the message of God's love and of His salvation. Because who are they going to listen to? Are they going to listen to some expert? Or are they going to listen to someone that they know? Are they going to listen to someone that they trust? Someone like you? 
they're going to listen to you. They're going to listen to their neighbors. They're going to listen to their friends. They, they know you. They trust you. They don't want some professional coming in and telling them how to do this. They don't want some apostle. They want a friend. So do we know how to be that kind of friend? Do we know how to love our neighbors <clears throat> the way that Jesus loves them? Do our hearts break for our neighbors? Do our hearts break for our friends the way that Jesus' heart breaks for them? We're going to look at Colossians chapter 4 today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Colossians 4, uh, beginning in verse 2. If you're using those Bibles in the pews, we encourage you to grab one of those. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, I'm just going to tell you, you can take one of those if you want, or we can get you a different Bible. Uh, but we'd love to make sure that you have access to a Bible. It's going to be on page 985 there in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. As Paul is coming to the end of this little letter that he's written, it's a little letter to a little church in a little town. And he's been concerned about the church, but as he comes to the end, his concern isn't for the church, his concern is for their neighbors, just as Jesus is concerned about our neighbors. We can go back to that old favorite scripture, everybody loves John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We understand that the world is bigger than just you and me, right? The world isn't just about you and me, it's about the people around us people we've known our whole lives, people we've just met. Jesus loves them. One of the things that we've seen over and over again in Colossians is that the church, the called out, we are the body of Christ. And so if Jesus loves them, then the body ought to love them also. What does it look like when we love people the way that Jesus loves them? Paul says it beginning in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul has two focuses here. He focuses on the way we pray, and he focuses on the way that we walk. Now, four times in this little letter, four times in this little letter, Paul has talked about walking, uh, and never once is he describing what we do with our feet. Four times he's talked about the way that we walk, the way that we carry ourselves in the world, the way we make our way through the world. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, he said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 6, he said, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so now walk in Him. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, he talks about the things that we used to do, the, the, the attitudes we used to have. And he says, you once walked in these, but now you are to do so no, long, no, no more. And then we come to chapter 4, verse 5. Something should be different about the way that we make our way through this world. Our walk, our path should point people to Jesus. And the question is, does it? Verse 2 is a, is a great little verse on prayer. You know, we, you hear it quoted, you, you see it out there, and 
And it's good stuff. But it's not just prayer for prayer's sake. There is a focus to prayer, and, and that's shared with the walk as well. Paul is asking for prayers for the effectiveness of the church and the effectiveness of his message. He asks for prayers for doors to be opened so that he can share the gospel with other people. It's a prayer for the salvation of the people around them. I want you to use your imaginations for a moment. Let's use our imaginations just for a minute. Let's imagine, imagine that the Martians have landed. Okay? Let's imagine that the Martians have landed. That's the sound of a Martian spaceship coming down. It's a long way from Mars. It takes a very long time to get here. That's their landing gear. Now, these are smart Martians. And so they have not sent soldiers to take us over. They have sent sociologists so that they can better understand us. And while they were in orbit, they were listening to our broadcasts and watching our TV programs, and they heard about Christians. And they heard about this thing called prayer. And they know from what they've listened that prayer is the way that a Christian communicates his heart to the heart of God. And so these Martians have snuck in among us today. And they're listening. And they're watching. And they're waiting for us to pray. They know that we're going to communicate to God. What are, the, what are they going to believe is the absolute most important thing on our hearts? What are they going to believe is the most important thing that we could pray about? Are they going to hear about spiritual needs? Are they going to hear us praying for the lost? Are they going to hear us praying for the hurting and the harassed and the helpless? Or are they going to hear us praying for Aunt Maud and her gout, which is bothering her again? Do they hear more prayers for spiritual healing? Or do they hear more prayers for physical healing? Now hear me carefully. There is nothing wrong with praying for spiritual he or physical healing. We, we should pray for physical healing. But if you search all of Paul's letters, you find a lot of prayers. But never once do you find Paul praying for physical healing. Instead, you find a lot of prayers like what you see in verses 3 and 4 where Paul says, Pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We spend a lot of time praying for some very important, but also very temporary things. Physical healing is important, but every physical healing is temporary. And there are people in our lives, there are people in our circle of friends, people who love us and listen to us and trust us, and they are not going to be spending eternity in heaven. Do we give prayers for their eternal life as much attention as we give for the temporary things. You see, we've, we haven't been called out to separate ourselves from the people around us. That's not the point of being called out. We haven't been called out so we can hold ourselves up inside church buildings and protect ourselves from the evils of the society around us. Instead, Jesus called us out so that we could go back in with his message. A couple of years ago, I introduced you to our friends George and Zena. You already knew my mom, but 
I introduce you to George and Zena. And uh, George and Zena, they also love this church. It's, we've become pretty dear to them. We, we love having George and Zena around. George and Zena have a heart for the Arab world and, and a heart for Muslim communities because that's where they both grew up. George grew up in Jordan. And if you remember, Zena was born in Iraq, and when she was very young, her family had to escape. Uh, in fact, uh, a couple of years ago, if you remember, one of her uncles was detained by ISIS, and his Muslim neighbors came to ISIS, and they said, you let this man go. He's a good man. He's a good neighbor. The Muslim neighbors actually stood up for him. Do you know where George and Zena are going this summer? They're going back to the Middle East. That's where their heart is. That's, they love those people. That's where they're going. George called me up a few weeks ago and told me we're going back to the Middle East to minister this summer. And he says, you want to come with us, brother? And I, I said, I, I've got plans. I'm planning on turning 50 this summer. I, I'd like to see that actually happen. And he said, no, we get you. We'll wrap your head up. Everything will be fine. They will know. And it sounds like fun one time. Uh, but I'm not going, but there's no way that I could be even a tenth as effective as George and Zena can be in that community. Now, how effective could George be in our community? <laughs> how well could he address people in middle America rather than the Middle East? Who's got a better chance of reaching Kansas, Illinois? George, uh, can't even pronounce his last name, uh, or you and me. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that if God's going to send missionaries to Kansas, Illinois, He's probably going to get missionaries from Kansas, Illinois with the same background, with the same struggles, the same concerns, and the same heart? Look at verses 5 and 6 again. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So that you may know how you ought to answer. You know, it has less to do with having the right answers and more to do with having the right heart, the heart to reach out, the heart to find the hurting and, and find the lost. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of your time. Some of your Bibles say making the most of every opportunity. First thing on our radar ought to be how do we make the best use of our time? How do we make the, the best use of our time? What are the opportunities that are around us? How do we use our time best? You know, this past Wednesday, we had 43 high school kids here for lunch. 43 of them here for lunch and prayer. They love the lunches they get here. They absolutely, I mean, if there was a way we could feed them steak, we, we should feed them steak. You know, it, they, they love the lunches. They get good lunches here. But even better than the lunches, do you know what else they get? They get greeted by Ruthie and by Donna, by, by Jeff, by Maxine, by Susie and Sue, and all the others that are helping out, they get greeted with smiles. They, they meet people who they know love them and care about them. You know, and the thing is, we may never see those kids here on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of those kids that we'll never see on Sunday mornings. But you know what the best use of our time is? The best use of our time is a few minutes on Wednesdays when we feed them lunch, 
and we show them their love, and we pray with them. That's the best use of our time, and that's exactly what we're doing. That's the opportunity that we're making the most of. What does walking in wisdom toward outsiders look like? What does making the best use of our time look like? You know, a few weeks ago, uh, we introduced volunteer badges to those of you who are serving either in the nursery or working with kids over here. Uh, those of you who are greeters, we ask you to start wearing these volunteer badges. These aren't for each other because we all know who the volunteers are. Their names are in the bulletin and we understand who they are. These are for our visitors because we're a casual church. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we're pretty casual. We don't have a lot of people dressing up here. They need to know somehow that, that somebody knows what's going on around here. Uh, and when they drop off their kid in the nursery, it would really help if they had somebody who had a name tag on or at least something that said they're a volunteer instead of they're, they're just somebody who happened to be hanging out in the nursery that day. When they drop kids off back here for, for, pre, for, the, uh, for the junior church or, or for another class, they, they ought to know that somebody's there that, that's going to be taking care of them. Last week, uh, some of us showed up with name tags on, and obviously that's not for you. You know our names. You know, if you're regular here, you know our names. That's for our visitors who come in, and the first thing they wonder is, who can I talk to? Who's in charge around here? Well, Jesus is in charge. We'll get him a name tag, too. Who's going who's gonna to take care of me? Who's going to talk to me? We want them to know what our names are and, and who we are. We want to make sure that we make the best use of that time. That's walking in wisdom towards outsiders and making the best use of the time that we have with them. And it would make a world of difference if sometimes we just stopped and asked ourselves the question, what opportunities are ahead of us? What's the next opportunity that we have? Do you realize that Easter is four weeks away? We are four Sundays from Easter. And on Easter, we're going to have visitors. On Easter, we're going to have friends and family here. And we're going to have some, uh, what Paul would call, outsiders here as well. Have you been thinking about who you can invite for Easter? People want to come to church for Easter. Who can you say, come join me for Easter. Come, come to church with us for Easter. Did you know Ilana's coming home and she's going to sing a song? She's got an amazing voice. That kid is wired different. You know, she's, she's just excited and she loves her Lord and she's going to come and sing for us. Ilana's going to come. She has a beautiful voice. Come and listen. The sermon it's going to be short. It's going to be good. You know, Brett's, Brett's working on it. He, he's going to be preaching a sermon. Let me remind you again, 90% of people who do not attend church, 90% of people who do not attend church say they would come if someone invited them. And the other side of that is only 2% of Christians ever invite someone to church. 2%. 90% would come, only 2% of Christians ever invite someone let me ask you, does that sound like verse 5? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Does that sound like wisdom? Does that sound like the best use of our time? And I know it's scary. I know it's scary to invite people to church. You don't want to come across as pushy and you don't want to come across as weird. Andy Stanley preaches at the North Point Church down in Atlanta. And North Point has a very helpful guideline. It's called the three knots. You know, the, the three knots to look for. The knots are cues to look for in, in someone's life to see whether or not this is a good opportunity 
to invite them to church. You know, the thing about knots, you get a knot in a shoelace, everything stops until you get that knot sorted out. You know, you can't get dressed, you can't finish, you got to get that knot sorted out. You get a knot in your earbuds, right? And you, I lay there and I'm, come on, get that, you know, I've got to get it taken out. If you're a fisherman, and you know what knots are like there, everything stops until that snarl gets taken care of. Sometimes there's knots in our lives also, you know, and things happen in our lives and they're, they're knots. Things are, things are not going well, and we've got to do something about those knots. Andy Stanley identifies three knots that we ought to look for uh, in our friends' lives, and one of them is when things are not going well. Uh, they're facing something they're just not ready for. Things are not going well. Their health's not good. Uh, maybe the family's not good. Their job's not good. Uh, maybe they're going through some marriage problems. Maybe they're going through some depression or anxiety. They're not feeling the same joy and excitement that they used to feel. And you can say, man, <laughs> I have been there. I have encountered that knot. And you know what helped me? It's going to sound goofy, but my church family was a huge help. You know, they loved me through that knot, and they, they really helped me through that time. You know what? Why don't you come sit with me this Sunday morning? Just, just come, I'll meet you there. Or I'll come pick you up. But come sit with me. I want you to meet my friends. I want you to, I want you to see what, uh, what it's all about for us. That's one of the knots, when things are not going well. The second knot is when they are not prepared for something, when they're just not prepared for something. You know, you got a, you got a kid on the way. Man, I am not prepared for this. <laughs> I am not ready for this one. Or maybe it's sickness. Maybe there's surgery coming up. Maybe, maybe it's a bad diagnosis. Maybe they're facing cancer. Or, or maybe that knot is a new season of life. Maybe it's an empty nest. Or as some of you have experienced, suddenly the nest gets very, very full again when you thought it was done, and all of a sudden there's more people living at your house, and you encounter that second knot. New responsibilities, uh, maybe recently married, maybe recently divorced, and you can say, man, been through that. I understand what that's like, and, and that's really tough. You know, that was rough when I had to go through that. But you know what helped? My church. I don't know how I would have got through it without my church. I don't know how I would have survived that without them. You know, come with me this Sunday. We'll sit together, uh, just we'll sit in the back, it'll be fine, and, and, and you, you, I want you to see these people, I want, you to, I want you to see how they help me. The third knot, the third knot is kind of a no-brainer. The third knot is when they're not going to church. When you find out that they're not going to church somewhere, that, that should be a no-brainer. They're not going anywhere, and again, 90% of the people who don't go to church, 90% of them, if you ask them, that's 9 out of 10, are going to say, yeah, I'll come with you. Uh, you know, that's, that'd be a great thing. And the thing about these knots is that they are not invasive. You're not being weird by inviting them to church. You are offering to help. And so watch for the knots in people's lives. Watch for the knots. The knots are cues, and the cues tell you the who's. It doesn't have to be awkward. Just pay attention to the cues and respond to them. We've got, uh, we're going to give you some cards today. We've got these little cards. The elders all have pockets full of these. And we're going to pass out these little cards. It's got the three knots on them. These are for you. I want you to put them somewhere where you have conversations. Um, in the old days, I would say, put them next to your phone. 
Does anybody, if you still have a landline, God love you. And uh, if you still have conversations and sit there and have your little notes by the phone, uh, that's wonderful. So if, you've, if that's where that goes, then, then, then if that's where conversations have it, put it near your phone. If, if, you, if it's your computer, put it near your computer. Some place where you will see it, where you can watch for the knots while you're having a conversation. And you can ask yourself the question, is this a cue? And, and the cues will tell you the who's to invite. The cues will show you where the opportunities are. And you can ask yourself the question, how can I make the most of this opportunity? I was 16 years old when I gave my life to Christ. It was, uh, it was in January of that year. 16 years old. That summer, uh, you guys sent me off to church camp. Uh, my parents would still thank you for that, for getting me out of the house at least one week every year. And I remember that summer... One of the days we were there in church camp, it was, it was lunchtime, and we'd had lunch, and then they always had mail call, and everybody who got letters got the, and all of a sudden they said, we have a package for the kids from the Kansas Christian Church, and we all had to go forward and get our package, and there was a shoebox, maybe one of you sent it, I don't know, somebody in this church sent a shoebox full of candy, and I was there at camp with my friend Mike, and Mike and I each grabbed a handful of candy and made our way back to our dorm to our bunks where we were going to rest. And we laid all of our candy out on the bed and we were picking through it and deciding what we were going to eat. And I was sitting there with Mike. Mike came to Sunday, or he came to youth group. He didn't come to church. He came to youth group. And I talked to Mike for a while. I said, Mike, you ever think about getting baptized? And Mike said, no, never have. And me, I said, well, you ought to. I did it back in January, and it's made a lot of difference in my life. That was it. We got back home, went back to school that fall. Mike was walking with a limp. He was holding his wrist like this, and he'd walk with a limp. Remember that limp? There's nothing wrong with Mike's arm, and there was nothing wrong with his leg. The doctors ran tests. Mike had a brain tumor. They were going to have to operate. And so, Mike had surgery, and things didn't, things didn't go well. And so, uh, things were looking pretty bleak for Mike. The elders of this church went out to visit with Mike and his family one day. Went out and spent a little time with them. The next morning, I'm standing by my locker, that hallway behind the old gym. You know the one I'm talking about? That's where my locker was. I'm standing there at my locker, and Mike comes walking up to me. And he says, Brad, I've got a question for you. So what's up, Mike? Would you baptize me? He said, the elders of the church came out and talked to us last night. and I'd like to get baptized. And I told them, I want you to baptize me. 16-year-old kid, what business do I have baptizing someone? I said, Mike, why me? He said, you were the first person that ever talked to me about Jesus. All I said with a handful of candy is, Mike, you ever think about getting baptized? Mike was not in church. There's something that Mike, things weren't going well. Mike was not prepared for something. His family wasn't either. Things were, were not going well. 
today Mike Elliott is in heaven because a 16-year-old kid with a handful of candy just said, you ever think about getting baptized? 16-year-old kid had been a Christian for about six months, made the most of an opportunity, <laughs> bought that time back, and, and heaven is richer because of it. Look for the cues. The cues will tell you the who's. You guys want to come up? The band's going to come play one more song here in just a moment. I'm going to pray and then we'll let them do that. <laughs> Look for the cues. The cues will tell you the who's. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watch for the cues. They'll tell you the who's. And one day, outsiders will be insiders. And heaven will be richer because you made a difference in someone's life. Let's pray. Father, we know that if we would just open our eyes, we would see opportunities all around us. And even more, we would see people who are hurting, people without hope in this world. They don't know you, but they do know us. Help us to see the cues and invite them and welcome them and bless them and most of all, love them. In your love, you saw the cues in our lives. You saw that things were not going well and there were things ahead of us that we were not prepared for. And yet, you sent your Son to die for us. It is a simple thing for us just to ask for the courage to, to simply invite our friends and simply show them that we love them, we care about them, and we want to see them in heaven with us. We love you. Thank you for your amazing love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.